0: Uh, all right, so good evening, everybody, good to see you after a one-week hiatus, and uh, we're back and ready for some more classes. We've got three more classes on this topic lined up, and as I've said throughout the course, if you have anything that comes up over the course of this course, uh, please do send me an email, and we can make a standalone class on it. As you know, rabbis can spend their time talking about anything that um, uh, could good evening. Um, so just to recap what we've discussed in the first three classes, very, very Good quickly evening, Thank you. Thank you. Just very quickly, we discussed in the first three classes, we discussed about God. This course is about God. In the first class, we discussed who is God. Ultimately, we said the the ultimate essence of God is unknowable. However, there are things that we can know about God. We discussed what about God, like his feelings. We discussed the why about God, why God, you know, creates us, why God creates evil, why God does certain things that we don't understand. And this class is kind of a little bit of a departure from the previous classes where we're discussing God, but mostly from our perspective, Um, more how we relate to God. So, for example, the four questions tonight are, do I have to believe in God to be Jewish? Is it kosher to have doubts about God? And we'll explain how that's not the same as the question we had in the previous class, which is, is it okay to question God? Two two separate things. Questioning God means you're questioning things that God is doing. Doubts about God means doubting God's existence or involvement in this world. Um, Question number three is, why must we fear God? Uh, Fear should be outdated, especially in today's day and age. And finally... um, What do we, you know, is it important to be religious? In fact, before this class, someone was uh, asking me about that, you know, how many commandments are there? What if I don't do all of them? Uh, What does that mean? So a lot of these topics are probably topics where if you've hung around Chabad for a while, these are all really things that we like to talk about a lot. So hopefully, I'm going to hope that I'm going to present to you something new, something novel, something, um, so there's going to be some information you probably know already, and hopefully some new ideas that will enhance what you know already. So we're going to start with question number one. And that is, do we have to believe in God to uh, be Jewish? So I'm going to start with the video. Um, I I, I, pro- I think I've shown this before, but I like it. So I'm going to show it. And um, let's take a look here. Uh, I'm not sure I'm sharing it right. One second, let me share again. Uh, Share, optimize, share sound. Okay, instead of my joke, this is going to be my beginning joke over here. So let's go. Hey, mister. What religion are you? Oh, well, that's a very
1: thought-provoking question, baby. Well, first and foremost, I consider myself a spiritual seeker. My understanding of history has definitely cultivated within me a rather healthy disdain for organized religion. But I'm certainly not an atheist, or even an agnostic. I'm perhaps what one might call a deist, and on some days maybe even a theist. So, in other words, I don't feel I could adequately describe my beliefs with any one label. Why? What religion are you, baby?
0: Jewish. Uh hopefully oh let me make sure I'm not muted. So in case you didn't catch the point of that, um obviously he looks at his diaper and was talking about the circumcision, but um the basic idea of the video. Is that uh, many people? You ask them their religion is like a whole complicated question, and it's like goes into philosophy, and you have to figure out. And for Jews, it's like you're Jewish. Now, how Jewish am I, and and what what things of Judaism do I like? That's a different question. But um, seemingly, uh, there's a lot of people out there who identify as Jewish, which wouldn't necessarily classify as. Uh, their religion if they were part of another religion in other words eating um i don't know you know cultural foods doesn't make you the other type of religion out there so this all boils down to the question of do you have to believe in god to be jewish and what do you think Do you have to believe in god to be jewish
2: So there is a trick question because Jewish, being Jew is both ethnically, you can be ethnically Jewish, but Judaism also a religion, so you can be ethnically Jewish without believing in God. Mm-hmm. But you can, uh, you, you can be, uh, uh, like if you're a non-Jew and you take up on yourself to be Jewish, you can become Jewish by uh, going through gear and all that stuff, obviously believing. So, in a reality, if you ethnically you can be Jewish without believing, but you will be a lost. Uh, you'll get lost. So I mean, you can always come back. So it's a, it's. Mm-hmm. So you are ethnically Jewish, but I, for me, it's uh, blood. Blood doesn't uh, by blood only. So. It's a, but it's a, not
0: only by blood because,
2: as you said, you can convert. Right. So I said, no, so you, you have to believe. So, so the answer is yes and no, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a Jewish answer. Exactly. So because you're ethnically Jewish. So if you're ethnically Jewish, then for you to come back, you don't have to do anything. You can just say, OK, um, I'm coming. But like, you know, just and you repent in your own heart and you're done. They're like, you know,
0: you, right. you're, back, you're back in the game. <laughs> but why? But before you repent, were you still Jewish? Yeah, somebody, somebody who's born Jewish doesn't practice, doesn't believe. Before they repent and return, are they at that point Jewish?
2: I don't view them as such. I have a problem with it, but that I might be a minority. So,
0: mm-hmm. right, okay. So writes, the rest, their father was agnostic and he was Jewish. I, I I actually saw a stat that Judaism has the highest incidence of non-believers of any religion. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, you can use them as the highest incidence percentage wise. Yes. Yeah. Let's take take a look at some of the um, common definitions. Um, Let's take a look
2: here.
0: Sorry, because of the the single screen, you're going to see a lot of stuff on the screen on the top. So I'm sorry about it. Um, So I should be okay. Here are the different um, terms that might be used on what defines a Jew. You might define it as a race. Now a race is a group of humans that are often divided into based on physical traits regarded as common among people of shared ancestry. Now, obviously Judaism is not a race because we have, um, you know, Jewish people from all different backgrounds um culture again the culture there are some similar cultures but i mean ashkenazic and sephardic are far apart and then you get to within sephardic and within ashkenazic uh it's definitely not just a culture uh a nation people having a common origin tradition and language capable of forming or actually constituting a nation state that's probably close but not really because um many jews have uh, never lived in the same nation, that we are nationals of different countries. And um, again, you have converts, so they may not be from a common origin. And then finally have a religion, a cause, principle, or system of beliefs held to with Doran faith. Um, and again, the problem there, defining Judaism as, as just a religion, would be, what about 50% of Jews who don't define themselves by the religion or by the belief? Um... So again, it's hard to say that Judaism is a race. Hard to say that it's a culture. We have multiple cultures. Hard to say it's a nation because um, we're nationals of all different countries. And there are even some Jewish people who are against having a, a nation to an extent. And there are uh, it's hard to define us as religious. So how does Judaism itself define a Jew? Yeah, exactly. Keturah writes, it is kind of all of the above. In other words, what I would say is Um, It's not not any of those. It might be part of all those, but there's one underlying feature that makes somebody Jewish, according to Judaism. Anybody knows what that is? Any thoughts? What, What makes somebody Jewish? One underlying feature that you would need to be Jewish. You can unmute, by the way.
3: Would it be like part of being part of the covenant? Because you could have Jewish blood in you. And like I did, my mother was not born Jewish, but didn't have a proper conversion. So legally, I wasn't considered Jewish. I had to go through a conversion, even though I was raised Jewish. My father's Jewish, 100% Jewish.
0: so So what changed when you, so becoming part of the covenant, okay? And then what changes in you when you become part of the covenant?
3: um well you're you're taking on that covenant but not only that i guess theoretically on that something changes on an ishema you know on a I'm soul not, level I think
0: you're looking for very good the soul the soul what makes somebody jewish is having a jewish soul having the jewish soul not the soul of a shoe but uh soul s-o-u-l having a jewish soul How you can get a Jewish soul, there's two ways. You can either be born into it, or you can convert into it. But either way, you will get a Jewish soul. And once you have a Jewish soul, you can never get rid of it. You can only get get it, you can't can't get rid of it. Uh, You know, where uh, you can only become Jewish, you can never leave it. And uh, therefore, it's hard to define it by anything, because there's nothing actually physical. It's a spiritual thing, having uh, the Jewish soul. And the important part about this is that being that it's a soul, uh, it's something that you can never get rid of. So let's take a look at the text, and then we'll see how this is important as we develop this class. And again, it is a class about God, and we'll see how this is important. But let's take a look at this text as the Rebbe describes it. Again, there's, there's many texts. This is not the original text that tells us it's the soul, but this is a, a great description. Jewishness is not a casual feature of a Jew's identity. Rather, it is his or her very essence. The status of a human, animal or vegetable is immutable. Declaring that one is no longer a human, that an animal really isn't an animal or that a vegetable is no longer a vegetable is ineffective. Even if a person will go so far as to deny their own existence or the existence of the human species, it still won't help. It is not a question of free will. We possess free will over our behavior, action and speech and thought, but not over our very essence and identity. You know, there's just an interesting point where he says it doesn't take away our free will. Um, it's a, one of the important points Rabbi Manus Friedman likes to make is that, um, you know, m- most of the large decisions in your life are made before you're born. You know, if you're worried about free will, but most of the big decisions in your life are made before you're born. What family are you are going to be b- born into? What gender? Uh, your name? Uh, you know, rich or poor? Uh, what era you're born into? What city you're going to be born into? All those things, kind of the biggest decisions in your life. Are made before you're born, and um, you can't really get out of it. Uh, well, obviously, you know certain things you can move away and you can go to different places, but certain things are immutable. And the same thing is the Jewish soul. Once you have it, you can no you can no longer get rid of it. It's part of you, and it's who you are. And uh, no matter what you want to say, you know, an animal that doesn't identify as an animal is still an animal. And um, we we don't really need to prove this, you know, this idea that Jews um, consider themselves Jewish, even when they don't believe, is something that we all see, right, um, you can just go into the synagogue of Yom Kippur, and uh, you'll find a high percentage of people over there who don't believe, or other people ask them, uh, well, I'm not, I'm not so sure, I'm, I'm not uh, exactly 100% sure what it is, but more important, but another one fascinating and and unique feature of jewish people is the fact that um whereas you know you might have in other religions also people who identify with a religion even if they don't necessarily believe but you will not find and this is unique to judaism people who will under duress suddenly believe in other words usually well, I, I'm not talking about there's no atheist in a foxhole. So what I'm saying is, let's say somebody comes to you with a gun and says, you know, denounce your Judaism or I'll kill you. Throughout Jewish history, so many times, people who were not religious at all suddenly displayed great Jewish pride in the face of danger, which is weird. They didn't believe anything. You know, Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach, a famous uh, Jewish singer, and he also used to tell stories. He tells a great story. He says there was one, once a town... Uh, this is before World War II, before the Holocaust. In this town is a very religious shtetl, a very religious town. But in the city there was Muttel the sinner. Muttel the sinner. Muttel was a Jew who lived in the town, but he was a sinner. He, you know, everybody would go to shul, he would go to the movies. Everybody would eat kosher, he would eat trade. Everybody would spit at him, and say Muttel the sinner, disgusting, horrible person. And as Rabbi Shlomo Carlebach tells the story, when the Nazis came to town and took over the town, um, they rounded up all the Jews, including Muttel the sinner. And they brought them out to the synagogue. And the Nazis laid out the They laid out the Torahs on the floor. And they said, Jews, dance on the Torahs. And Ramatul, the sinner, came to the front of the shul. And he stood in front of the Nazi soldier. And he said, we are Jewish people. We don't dance on Torahs. And the Nazis shot him in, in, the, in, the, in the head. And that's the story that uh, Shlomo Kalabach used to say. And the point of the story was that you can be Ramatul, the sinner, but this is something we believe in. You know, even if you claim not to believe and you claim to be uh, an atheist, um, it's always there. It's always deep down. It's immutable. And sometimes, sometimes we can hide it. Sometimes we can allow it to be hidden. We don't necessarily see it. We don't necessarily connect with it. But our Jewish soul is always there. And therefore, our Jewish belief is always there. And that's why in moments of duress, it actually comes out. Because in a moment of duress, there's no other choice. There's no other way of looking at it. Um, in other words, it's it's a question of the core of who you are. And I, I can't tell you how many people I meet in this town. Like you know, they'll they'll you know they don't want to do anything. But if God forbid, you tell them they're not Jewish. It's like the worst thing you could tell them. You like well, well you don't do anything for, you you know you don't you don't come to Yom Kippur, you don't come to Yom Kippur for Shul. You don't uh, eat bagels and lox every week. Like uh, maybe they do, but. You know, I, I'm saying like, why does it bother you so much to say you're not Jewish? But that's that's how you know that's how a lot of these people are, and, and the reason is because ultimately we believe they have that Jewish soul, and uh, when someone wants to deny them their Jewish soul, so to speak, by saying they're not Jewish, that bothers them to their core. There was um, one time a great uh, example given by the previous Chabad Rebbe. He says uh, a Jew is like uh, a letter in the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments was uh, uh, stone, and there were letters engraved in the stone. Just as letters that are engraved can never, um, you can't erase them. You can't, right? You can erase a pencil. But when the the engraved stone is part of the stone itself, you can never erase it. It can get full of dirt. It can get covered over. You may not see it, but it's always there. The letters are always there. And similarly, our Jewish soul, it's always there. It can get covered over. We may not connect with it, but um, it's always there. So if that's the case, you may ask, well, so rabbi, so I don't need to believe to be Jewish. I have that Jewish soul always. So why do I need to do anything? Um, Of course, the obvious answer is that you want to express your true self, but we're going to discuss it a little bit more um, in the next section of the class. But The first point of the class is, can you be Jewish even if you don't believe? And of course, the answer is yes. So is Judaism a race? Is Judaism an... It, it can fall under all of them, but ultimately Judaism is who you are, it's the essence of who you are by virtue of your Jewish soul, which will play a role in the following discussions that we will have coming up. Any questions or comments?
3: Rabbi, yes. I do. Okay. Um, wasn't it, I, I think it might have been you that told me on a previous discussion, um, but um ha- hasn't it been said that Oftentimes, people that convert to Judaism, they were already born with a Jewish soul. It was just they or they just needed to make it official, basically, that
0: anybody, anybody that converts um, had a, a spark of a Jewish soul already, and that's what's pushing them to convert. And when they convert, they get the full uh, Jewish soul manifesting in themselves.
1: Yeah, I thought so. Yep, yep rabbi i have the opposite question um what if a jew converts to catholicism Mm. then what then what (laughs) i'd like to know yes
0: so in jewish law if someone really converts now what you have today a lot of jews who convert out of ignorance okay which is maybe under a totally different category in other words you have jews who grew up not knowing much about judaism and and they live amongst catholics they live amongst you know, so they convert it, it's you know they, they didn't know much about Judaism. whatever they did know was something they learned in first grade and so to them it wasn't a big deal. However, so that's definitely not considered um, you know that they're not Jewish anymore. In Jewish law if someone does know about Judaism and nevertheless converts, they are still considered Jewish but in Jewish law they do lose some benefits. For example, if someone really truly converted, like they really, you know, say, uh, you know, a uh, true apostate, um, we may not count them for a minion or certain things. They lose certain privileges. They can regain them, uh, but they are always still considered Jewish. They can't get rid of it, but they can, in Jewish law, lose certain privileges. Yes, but again, it's all assuming that they truly and properly converted. Unfortunately, we have today people convert totally out of ignorance not realizing what they have in their own backyard in the studies of Judaism. Um, Okay. So that is uh, section number one. So let's just uh, run through the slides so you see what we're talking about. Um, Fortunately, because I have this. um, All right, so the slides are like this. I hope it shows. Oh, yeah, okay. All right. So we discussed over here, uh, do I have to believe God to be Jewish, which before you can discuss do you have to believe in God to be Jewish, you have to discuss, well, what is a Jew? We discussed it can't be just a race, or just a culture, or just a nation, or just a religion, and so ultimately we decided a Jew is someone who has a Jewish soul, and a Jewish soul is attained by birth or through conversion, practice, or beliefs do not impact one's Jewish status. And uh, as the Talmud says, even one who sins remains a Jew because you cannot discard your essence. And a synchronized Jew expresses your Jewishness through Jewish behavior and belief. In other words, you are expressing your essence that is truly there. Uh, but failure to do so does not undo your Jewish status. Deep inside, the soul remains loyal to God. As uh, Rabbi Shneur Zalman of Liadi said, even the most irreverent and sinful Jews typically surrender their lives to sanctify God's name. And as we brought one story of Muffle the Sinner, um, and there are so many stories throughout the Holocaust and uh, other places. Um, you even have more recently had Daniel Pearl. Uh, Daniel Pearl was a not, not very religious, but he was a, a, a journalist and he was caught by ISIS. And the last words he says, I think, was I was born a Jew and I'm going to die a Jew. Um I don't even think he was pro-Israel, if I recall. I don't remember. I have looked it up. but um,, uh, but that those were his last words. Um, so that and that's because that's the essence of who we are and it can never change. um and that's what really makes f- a fascinating um study case about Jewish people is that a Jew, even when claiming to be Jewish, will invite danger into their life, they will do that, even though denouncing God. Can set them free. Uh, maybe he was a New York Times report. I'm not sure. Um, okay. All right. So that is the summary uh, of this section. Okay. Next question. Next question is: Is it kosher to have doubts about God? And um, what we're referring to over here is not similar to the question that we had earlier in the course. Earlier in the course, we had a discussion, uh, I think it was last class, which was two weeks ago, was, uh, can we question God? And what that means is questioning God's judgment. For example, um, you know, when Abraham questioned God, why are you killing all these people? When Moses questioned God, sometimes we question things that God is doing. So that wasn't a question of, do I believe God's involved? Do I believe that there is a God? That was basically um questioning things that god is doing we wanted to know is it okay to question god like god why are you doing the holocaust why are you you know allowing terrorist bombs in israel like those are questions and we discussed yes there is an appropriateness in asking those questions here we're talking about sometimes we have doubts doubts not a doubt what is god doing but doubts does god exist is god really involved does god really care so in other words there are many, many Jews who consider themselves believer, believers. believers, you, you and I included, right? We're believers over here, assumingly. And uh, sometimes we have doubts and we're ashamed by the doubts that plague us in our minds. And they're not necessarily triggered by certain events. They just pop out of nowhere. Uh, I remember when I was in, in yeshiva, also, uh, I think it was 18, 18, 19. I, had one time, I was one time beset by doubts, was like suddenly coming to my head. So, um, you know, I spoke to one of the older students in the yeshiva. He's like, yeah, yeah. He he describes me, as they, they call it ish, you have a worm. It's like, like there's a worm, in, you know, in your brain. It's like, you know, two and away. It's like you have a, you know, yeah, you, there's doubts gnawing at you. Sometimes you have in life, doubts come to you. They just pop out of nowhere. Do I really believe, you know, is, is God really there? Does he really care about me? How can I be sure, you know? And um, these doubts are troubling because they cast out, on the authenticity of your own faith. You say, I'm a believer and how, how can I be doubting? And uh, we wonder what does having these doubts, what does it say about me? And uh, does it make me a bad Jew? Now, if you never have these, don't worry about it. You, I'm not telling you, you have to have these doubts, but um, I know I've had them, not, not recently, but I have had them and I, I'm, I'm sure, and I have heard from many of you that you've had them. So what do you do with them? What do you make of it? Um, you know, how serious do we take these these thoughts? And uh, some people react to them by just saying, "Well, I don't necessarily believe, but it's more convenient for me to be, uh, you know, I'm in this, I'm in this, and I just, you know, enjoy this religion and enjoy this uh, lifestyle, so I'm just going to stick with it." In fact, there's a uh, there's some blog out there by some somebody he was, he was he even he obviously is anonymous. He writes he's still a rabbi and he loves helping the Jewish people. He's not sure God exists. Like, okay, interesting. It looks like he's a religious. I'm, I'm saying an Orthodox rabbi. It's clear from the blog. Um, it's just an interesting thing. He didn't say God doesn't exist. He's, just, he's not sure. You know, he, he obviously has some doubts. Um, some people, though, um, they they let their doubts uh, rock their beliefs to the point where one day they just wake up and they say, well, let me give it all up. You know, I, I'm not sure I believe. Let me just give it all up. I have these doubts. What's the point of this anyways? And they, And they walk away from it. So the question is, what do we do when we have doubts? You know, they tell the story of, uh, good evening, Nina. They tell the story of uh, Jake. Jake uh, comes home from from uh, Hebrew school. His father put him in Hebrew school so he could get a bar mitzvah, even though his father didn't believe in anything. And uh, Jake comes home from Hebrew school and says, Dad, you wouldn't believe it, but, uh, you know, I heard that uh, God parted the Red Sea and all his people walked, through the dry land and his father the atheist turns to him and says what are you talking about it wasn't the red sea it was the reed sea and the water in that sea is not very tall it's only one foot deep so the son looks at his dad and says wow dad you mean god drowned all the egyptians in one foot of water okay anyways um so the point of this, the point is that uh you know there's uh doubts that uh many of us have and so what do we do with it if anybody here wants to offer their thoughts, of course, you're welcome to. Um, anybody? Although it's kind of personal. But anyways, all right. So regardless, I'll tell you what we want to present today. Um, the answer is it's perfectly normal. Um, I seem to notice a trait humility is a link to a strong faith. Um okay, humility will be the topic in as you see a connection in the next question or the or the fourth question of class. I forget. Um, okay. So it's perfectly normal for a believer to harbor doubt. It's the way God intended it. It's not necessarily that you're a bad person. Um, God did intend that we would be beset by doubts. And Um, nevertheless, that should not take away from our faith. And oddly enough, the best way to deal with doubt is by ignoring it. So you might think the best way to deal with doubts is to intellectually tackle it. But as I'll explain in a moment, the best way to deal with doubts and faith is by ignoring it. So what do I mean? The truth is that our faith in God is innate. Faith is not intellectual. Now, it sounds weird, but we just discussed a moment ago, right? What makes us uh, Jewish is the soul. So the soul is what gives us our faith. Why the soul? Because the soul sees God. The soul knows the truth, right? The soul has seen God. The soul knows the truth. So really, faith is coming from the soul. If you're connected with your soul, you will have faith in God. We have an intellectual study about God. Um, Because we also want to involve our mind as well, and you know, to deal with certain obvious problems and doubts that we may have. But ultimately, your faith comes from your soul. Your faith is not uh, really intellectually based. As very good Anita points out, logic can ultimately not fully grasp God. That's something we spoke about in the first class. And uh, second of all, as I love to always quote this line, it is, to the believer, there are no questions, and to the non-believer, there are no answers. I'll say the line again. To the believer, there are no questions, and to the non-believer, there are no answers. What that means is, ultimately, what you see in life is that either you believe or you don't. Okay, not saying sometimes people don't get to a point of faith. Of course, yes, that happens. People change from one side to the other. But ultimately, when you when you believe, uh, typically... Questions cannot shake that belief. We'll talk about soon. Well, what if something really bad happens in your life? But generally, if you believe, questions cannot change that. So it's a question. But I don't have to have the answer right now. But I believe Uh, it's almost like, by the way, in politics, politics is a belief, too. You have some people believe one side. Some people believe the other side. You can ask them all the questions in the world. They'll still believe this way. You ask them all the questions well, they believe that way. Not exactly a, a full example, because ultimately, hopefully, politics is based on more than belief. Hopefully, it's based on intellect. Um, but uh, unfortunately today, a lot of people take it as a belief, okay? Um, But similarly, in in, uh, Judaism, though, we believe that our belief in God is based on something real. What's our belief in God based on? It's based on our soul, that our soul sees God, and if we're in connection with our soul, we will believe in God. And that's why when you have doubts and faith what is actually happening, it's not necessarily the intellectual questions that are bothering you. Because if you're a real believer, the intellectual questions will not be bothering you. What it is is, is simply put, God giving you a test. Because God that doesn't like to make anything in life come easy. And the same thing is faith. Same thing is faith. And therefore, if um, the same thing is faith, and therefore, since faith is illogical, God also created this illogical force that that uh, comes to the other side. So let's, let's take a look here at a text. Um, here's a text. Uh, the text says like this. God gave the sitra akhara, which means the other side, permission and power to oppose the holiness of the godly soul so as to inspire us to overcome it. Again, so God allows permission to, you might call it the yitzahara, the evil inclination. God gives power to the opposite of holiness of the godly soul so that we are inspired to overcome it so in other words sometimes we will wake up and there will be doubts in our life We'll have doubts about everything that we believe in and everything that we hold dear and uh we're not sure why well, we're like do i really believe anymore and then we try to deal with it intellectually but it's not really an intellectual issue that's coming it's just the animal soul that's just coming and saying, well, maybe not, right? You know, how hard is it to say that, right? Well, maybe it's not true, right? How, how difficult is it uh, to say that? And um, the way to deal with it, again, is not through the intellectual exercise. Now, when you're dealing with somebody, somebody comes to you with an intellectual question, it's actually a lot of times the same thing. Now, you're in a public place, somebody asks you a question about God, you need to give the answer so that the public sees it. But a lot of times when you're one-on-one and people are asking questions about God, you will realize right away that the questions and doubts they have are not really what's bothering them. So often, that, so you answer the question, they have another question. They Either there's something emotional bothering them, or they just don't want to believe, right? So you answer the question, and again, I'm not saying don't answer the question, but realize that a lot of the times when people are asking a question, it's not because they uh, already... To believe oh if you give me this one answer then i'll believe right <laughs> no it's it's uh you know then they're, they're not at the point where they want to believe um anybody's any such experiences just always curious you know where uh you know you get the hecklers in life right so just like there's hecklers in life on the outside there's the hecklers on the inside of us um that come to us with questions and doubts and just remember that it's just part of what God gives us. God wants to make it difficult for us. He doesn't want to make it easy. He wants to make it that we have to work. And since faith is a soul thing, he makes it that you know we're beset by doubts, and we just have to remind ourselves what's true, what's real, uh, what's important. And um uh remember that faith is an etas. I, I like to present it with the following story. It's it's you could say this, I'm sure it's happened many times, but the story is there was one time a, a a chassid who comes to his Rebbe and he says, Rebbe, um, I have a problem. So his Rebbe says, what's the problem? He says, Rebbe, the problem is that uh, I have doubts about God. So the Rebbe says, okay, why is that a problem? He says, what do you mean, Rebbe? It's a, it's a, I have doubts about God. That's a problem. He says, so why, why is that a problem? He says, what do you mean? I have to, I'm have Jewish. I have to believe in God. He's like, oh. So if you're if you, if you if you're bothered by it, then you, then you don't have a problem, right? In other words... If he really had a doubt, then he wouldn't be bothered, right? Then he wouldn't come to the rabbi and says, rabbi, I have a problem, I have doubts. Obviously, really you believe, and you're bothered by the fact that you have doubts that maybe God doesn't exist, right? So the same thing is with us. When we're bothered by the fact that uh, we have doubts, um, that's a reminder to us that truly we do believe. And uh, the existence of doubts and the fact that the existence of doubts bothers us means to us, that um truly we believe. Uh, one of the rabbis who's giving this course shared a, an amazing story that happened with him. And um I really think it it brings home this point. He said he um he had a congregant in his uh in his community and um you know they were getting close to Chabad and they're getting involved you know with the you know with the Jewish soul and Jewish actions, and they had started buying Jewish books, and they got mezuzahs, and tefillin, and all different things, and keeping some kosher and whatnot. And then one day, unfortunately, uh, one of their children passes away. And as you can imagine, of course, that's a horrible and terrible ordeal for anybody to go through. And uh, it shook their beliefs. And the rabbi obviously reached out to them, but after a while, they stopped returning his phone calls. And uh, one day, they show up at his office, and they show up with a whole package of stuff, and they say, Rabbi, um, you know you know they come there with heart wrenching they're crying and i say rabbi we don't believe anymore you know this can't do this anymore we're just coming to return to you all the books all the mezuzahs all the tefillin and uh we're going to give this to you and so maybe someone else in your community can use it and uh, the rabbi looks at them and says uh, i know that you're going to be back and they say how do you know he says well um the fact that you're crying, the fact that it's bothering you, the fact that it's disturbing you. Um, If it didn't bother you, you wouldn't be crying about it. Obviously the questions and the difficulties that you've been through are making this so difficult. But if you truly don't believe in something, then it's not a big deal to just drop it off. It's not a big deal to just let go of it. It's not a big deal to just say hasta la vista. But the fact that they were bothered by it um, told him that deep down, they believed they were just suffering, obviously suffering with the emotional pain of the loss of their child, but uh, and and that didn't enable them to continue on the path that they were on. But ultimately, um one hundred percent they had that belief. And so that's really the idea over here is that a lot of times we have to realize that our doubts are not really uh, what we think they are. They're not really that we truly don't believe. They are just either coming from sometimes emotional pain, sometimes they're coming from. Um, to, you know, just the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, that God allows it to send us doubts. And that's only so that we overcome it and become stronger and um, decide to uh, follow uh, even more uh, our faith. I want to share with you this text here, text number seven, uh, which before this class, maybe you would say, "What? What is, what is this advice? But now that you've taken this class, now you'll understand. So... Let's take a look here. The altar Rebbe is giving advice to somebody who um, is having issues in faith. They're having doubts. So here's here is his advice. He says like this, grow angry with your animal soul, your evil inclination and thunder it against it indignantly in your mind. How long will you hide God's infinite light from me, denying the self-evident truth? This will help your godly soul see the truth of God's endless unity with the clarity of sensory vision and not just by the power of deduction and logic. The Jewish people are believers and children are believers. So when you read that text, what type of advice is this for somebody who's having doubts in faith? Then what do you mean? You need to go to a course and God and study and get the intellectual knowledge. But now that we've had this class, we understand. Is that faith really is non-intellectual. Faith is really a connection with our soul and our soul is a believer. Yes. A lot. We do need to. God wants our mind to be involved in our religion, and therefore we do. And I, I believe it's more rational to believe in God one hundred percent. But my faith is not based on my understanding. Okay. Um, and so this is uh, why this advice makes sense. He's saying it's sometimes when it comes to issues of faith, the intellect. The intellect is not the problem. It's not really the issue. And that's why you don't talk to your animal soul. So you just need to scream at it and just say, you know, heck with you. You're just, you're just causing problems. You're just trying to bite my ear off. Right. And I, I said, really, you see the same thing we see, just like we see it in, internally. You see it externally as well. There are people, like I said, you meet, you meet in life and uh, they're, they're berating you about your faith, but it's not like if you answer their questions, they're suddenly going to come over to believe they, they've decided and made a choice not to believe. So let us uh, recap what we've said via the um, the slideshow. So that way we have point number two. Again, point number one of the class was uh, what makes us Jewish is our Jewish soul. And therefore it's innate. There's nothing we can do about it. And this really leads us to the second point of the class in which we discuss faith because faith is really a part of our soul. So, we, so to recap, we discussed how can a faithful believer harbor doubts? Uh, The soul has seen God, then there's doubts. The answer is that God wishes that a Jew be tempted with alternatives. And despite the allurement, he or she chooses to remain steadfast in their faith. Once we see the truth, we should be immune to to doubts. But God gave the evil inclination permission to do the seemingly impossible, to raise false doubts in the face of faith. And what we need to tell ourselves is, I'm a Jew with a soul who believes in the creator. I have doubts. So what? God rigged this game. Outside voices will come along and try to test my resolve. And so ultimately, having doubts means God has confidence in you that you have the ability to overcome them. They are a testament to your superior power. So counter them from a place of empowerment. Um, I'm going to skip that slide. Okay. And so ultimately, is it kosher to have doubts about God? Yes, it's part of God's plan to test us, Swat them away, and carry on in life. So that was Section number two of our class. Any questions or comments?
1: What happens if you never have any doubts? Like, what does that mean? Um,
0: Well, you, you never had any doubts in your life? No. Like, not once in your entire life?
1: Not that I can recall, ever.
0: Well, then, obviously, you've been praying. In the morning prayers, we say... Va'al to be in Daniel saying, God, don't bring me to a test. So as much as we extol tests that God gives us, we don't like to be tested. We still ask God not to test us. When we get tested, we understand why it's there. And as we explain, it's God is uh, trying to get you to a deeper level. But it um, uh, doesn't mean that you have to have a test and a doubt. There's a, that possibility. You're probably tested in other areas of your life. Maybe not in faith. Maybe in other areas of your life, you have tests.
1: Oh, I'm sure. I mean, there have been many times where, like, I cried and said, why? Why okay. me? Why you got to do this? But I'm still, like, not doubting. I'm just a little irritated at the time. It is what I perceive right. So
0: that, right, so that would go to the discussion of the last, the previous class where we discussed when we're questioning things that God is doing. This was more specifically questioning God's existence or, involved, or is God involved in my life or in the world? that i've never had a doubt. okay
2: all right okay any other questions what if you have doubts not about god existence
0: but god of the torah like if yeah no personal. those are all yeah 100 all all what? included it all included in in what okay. we just spoke about here yes correct or you or you doubt you know as is in the real thing or whatever yeah, know, yeah that's thing. what i mean yeah the,
2: yeah because the doubting god is once you convince that it's there, it's like very hard. But right, right, the, right. the rest of the Torah is doubting is the, comes very often. Right. How right. often can you doubt? <laughs> Me? No, no. Is it before? Is it how often is allowed to doubt God?
0: Oh, oh how often? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I didn't see a restriction anywhere. Um, definitely. Uh, uh, the more you uh, probably, the more you indulge in it, the more it, it sticks around, though, right? Yeah,
2: I mean, but you you, you are right. That ignoring it, it it I think it's the best way. It's uh, it's uh...
0: yeah yeah. In other words, not not to say don't deal with the intellectual part of questions, but yeah. always remember faith is not ultimately intellectual. Yeah, the
2: the it's you can
0: it's ninety five percent
2: intellectual, five percent is pure faith like you can't do anything about it you just either yes or no so it's a
0: right uh actually on that note while we end this section of the class um i want to share this other great video that i have that describes this all as well um also another stick figure story um let me do this out of the way one second i I love this one as well um so let me show this (laughs)
4: sometimes I just feel so lost, you know? Sure. Yeah. I mean, what about you? How do you always stay so connected, so aware of a higher power? Well, I'd say part of it is self-discipline. You know, a specific, deliberate effort on my part to remind myself that we're all really just extensions of the infinite. And I'd say a big part of it is probably this harness rig that attaches me directly to my creator.
0: Oh, I love art. Art is great.
1: Uh, That was cute. I like that one.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly.
1: I I laughed at least, so
4: thank you for that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good, good, good. Good, yeah, that's the main thing. We got to laugh in life. So that's really the idea, you know, there's the explanation. (laughs) But ultimately, we're connected by that rope. Yeah. The real story. Uh, Talking about jokes, uh, as a lead into my next section, let's take a look here at uh, my other uh, little, little thing over here uh wait oops let me escape this uh, it's full screen uh, all right next section is a calvin and Hobbes all right this is a lead into our four, to our third question let's see if this can load um i, I don't i i didn't uh, look at any of this but anyways this is an old calvin and Hobbes i don't even know who calvin and who Hobbes is but um anyways I never really read it, but one of the rabbis pointed out, and I thought it was cute. It's a cute little comic for the Do you think there's a God? And of course he says, well, somebody's out there to get me. And uh, why am I sharing that? Because unfortunately, that is a feeling that many people have around God. That God is out to get them. The fear of God. The, um, you know, God's got these list of punishments and things that he's going to get to you. So we discussed um we discussed in a previous class discussing god's you know vengefulness and god's anger and we we, we discussed that and, and and that's put to rest but what we're discussing here today is at the end of the day the torah does talk about how you have to fear god the torah mentions it many times you must fear god um uh, Yirat Hashem, what it's called, Yirat Hashem, right? Sure, you've heard the word Yirat Hashem, fear of God. Um, let's take a look. Um, let's just Maimonides here brings us the two verses. So let's take a look here at the text. Um, here's a great text it says, It is a mitzvah to love and fear this glorious and awesome God, as the verse states, and you shall love God. That's Deuteronomy 6 and 5, and fear God. Fear your God, Deuteronomy 6.13. So, um, is a commandment in the Torah to love God and also to fear God? Now, you might ask, is fear maybe outdated? Maybe, you know, back in the old day, they needed to fear God. Maybe today uh, we know that fear destroys relationship. I mean, think about it. If you're afraid of your spouse, uh, that's not, that's called a toxic relationship. That's not going to be great, Right. Hopefully you don't have fear. So if God loves us and wants a healthy relationship with us, which we've discussed in previous classes, he does. Why are our prayers filled with mentions of fear? Does God want a toxic relationship with us? Um, And also, why do we call people God-fearing Jews? Uh, So what do you think? What's your thoughts? I'd like to hear your thoughts. How do you deal with the... Uh, description that we have to fear God it's one of our commandments
1: would it be more awe than fear I mean like reverence and awe
0: so defi- define a little bit more what do you mean
1: um, I guess I don't know the like the belief or the knowing that you're, that God is you know all powerful and all omnipotent and you know something bigger than ourselves you know i mean we're obviously not an equal to god but i i personally have a hard time grasping the whole idea of fear because
4: i don't i don't get that
0: good all right so we'll discuss it okay awesome i I,
4: I have something to add yeah okay Um, um i i don't have a problem with anyone fearing god at all i think that um it's like anything else it's it's really about the fear is the separation from God. So when we're separated from God, we're not close to Him, we're not one with Him, let's say that we're in sin, some kind of sin for example.
0: So you're, the fear is fear of separation.
4: That's only one small aspect. There's a lot of reasons to fear God many many mm-hmm. reasons that it's a healthy fear, a very healthy and appropriate fear uh, like a respect, a, um, a deep, deep, vast, um, respect for, for the
0: power, for his power. Mm-hmm. So fear of it, fear or awe, as Katie mentioned of his awesomeness.
4: Yes. Um, how much we need him, for example. So like fearing mm-hmm. a disconnect because we need him so desperately. Some people need him more than others. Like I'm very desperate for him. I'm very thirsty, very hungry for him. He made me that way because...
0: Good. you know, makes, like, It makes it easier for you to desire him.
4: Born to atheists, I needed a nudge.
0: Uh-huh. So, okay. All right. Good. Anybody else? Good, good. I like what I'm hearing so far. Ketora, Nina, good. Anybody else? Punishment. Punishment. Fear of punishment. Okay. You know what? That's a good uh, good 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 uh lead-in. I want to discuss fear of punishment. Um so let's first start with this. The American Psychological Association defines fear as a basic and intense emotion aroused by detection of imminent threat. So they define fear as a feeling that comes from feeling a imminent threat. That's how society interprets fear. And that's why fear has such a negative connotation. Fear of God, when we say fear of God, we obviously don't mean that, because that would mean what people describe as God that's going to come at you with a bolt of lightning. Uh, all right, very good. As Rallah has something nice. Anita, very good as well. So uh, let's develop these thoughts. Good stuff. Um, so let's start with fear of punishment. Uh, That's probably the most basic level of fear of God that one may have. You're afraid of that imminent threat, the thing that's going to get you, right? Um, Now, what the commentaries point out, that fear of punishment is actually not fear of God. The Torah commands us to have fear of God. Fear of punishment is fear of punishment, not fear of God. So will fear of punishment get you to do the right thing? Yes, but it's not the commandment that God is asking of us. Uh, when you fear punishment, one can look at it as, in fact, you are afraid for yourself. It has nothing to do with God. It just happens to be God is the one administering the punishment, but you're not necessarily fearing God. So fearing God is obviously something beyond fearing punishment. Um, according to the Baal Shem Tov, the Baal Shem Tov actually adds a layer on this. He says, actually, the Torah would have no reason to command us to fear punishment. Why? Because if you truly believe in the punishment, in other words, you truly believe God is going to give you that punishment then we don't need to command you to fear it. You don't need to command somebody to fear something bad. If God tells you, you do this, something bad is gonna happen to you, I don't need to command you to fear it. If you're a normal person, you're gonna be afraid of that. So when the Torah commands us to fear God, it cannot mean to be afraid of the punishment because that should be a natural feeling if you believe that that punishment is gonna happen. Expanding on this idea, that some ascetic, the third third Chabad Rebbe explains that um, truthfully, Uh, The real problem in a sin is not the punishment, but the sin itself. Something actually Nina alluded to a moment ago is that um, you feel the sin is the distance from God. The punishment is uh, the remediation of the sin. So, again, the sin is the problem. The punishment is the remediation of it. It would be, for example, somebody would say, I don't want to get sick because I don't want to take the medication, right? Right. Imagine someone say, "I don't want to get sick because I don't like the bubble flavored uh, antibiotics." That's stupid. You don't want to get sick because you don't, you don't want to feel sick, right? Not because of the not because of the remediation that you don't like. You don't want to actually be sick. So similarly, um, fearing punishment would be kind of backwards. It would be the punishment is actually the remediation. How God is healing us. It would be like being afraid of medicine, not being afraid of of the thing itself. And finally, the Reverend Hashab, the fifth Chabad Rebbe, points out. That, uh, again, fearing punishment is actually uh, self-motivated. It has nothing to do with God. It has to do with yourself. So to recap, fear of punishment is not fear of God. So therefore, it cannot be what the Torah is referring to because you're fearing the punishment. You're not fearing God. Number two, there's no need to command us to fear punishment because if you believe in the punishment, you should automatically be afraid of it. So when the Torah tells us to be afraid of God, it cannot mean be afraid of the punishment. That should be a natural if you believe in the punishment. Number three, um, fearing the punishment would be like fearing the medicine and not the illness. Okay, the illness is the sin itself, being distant from God. And uh, number four, fear of punishment is all selfish. So what is fear in Judaism? We described what it's not, it's obviously not fear of punishment. Although again, that has its role, it can help you do the right thing, but that's not what the commandment is. So let's read Maimonides, A Pathway to Fear. Maimonides writes like this. What is the way to love and fear God when a person contemplates God's wondrous deeds and creations and appreciates his infinite wisdom that defies all comparison? They will immediately love, praise, and glorify God, yearning with tremendous desire to know God's great name. When they reflect on these matters, they will immediately tremble in awe and fear, aware that they are but tiny, humble, and dull creatures. Ooh, I like that one, dull creatures of slight petty wisdom before his perfect knowledge. So in other words, Maimonides is describing what happens if you were to truly appreciate who God is and how small we are, we would be awestruck by God. Awe, which is um, was first mentioned, is a combination of admiration, humility, this is what Anita spoke about, and respect. You admire something so much that you are humbled by it. This combination of admiration and humility leads to respect. I'm going to say that again. Admiration and humility leads to respect. And um, that's going to play an important role in a, in a moment. I'll get to that in a moment, why that's important. Uh, or maybe I should I shouldn't spoil, I should spoil it now. I'll just say it now. So um, one of the reasons that uh fear or we were describing as important. Why love of God is not good enough is because actually love is also selfish. Let's take a look at a relationship. Love in a relationship can be very selfish. What do you love about them? We spoke about essential loves other times, but love can be a selfish uh, feeling. Okay. You love the person, but that's why we have you know, for all the romance movies that are out there and and people talking about love, 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 and love is the most important thing. Actually, love is not necessarily the most important thing, because as we see with all the love, so many relationships fall apart. Why is that? Because love, certain levels of love can be completely selfish. However, when you have admiration and humility, that creates respect. Why does it create respect? Because it's not about, just myself anymore. In other words, if you just love your spouse, well, when that spouse is not giving you things to love anymore, you're ready to dump them and throw them on the wayside. However, when you admire your spouse and uh, you are humble in front of your spouse, you realize just how amazing your spouse is, just as a person, an amazing person, uh, then you have humility. And even if they are at a point in their life where they can't give, they they cannot provide for you anything. Let's say, God forbid uh, somebody has a spouse that gets very ill. Unfortunately, there's so many stories out there of, of, you know, where one spouse gets ill, the other spouse just dumps them. There's multiple stories like that. Why? Because obviously the healthy spouse just had love. And when the other spouse can't provide with them anything, then there's nothing to love anymore. They leave. But if you admired that person, you you, you felt humble in front of that person, you admired who that person was, then it's not so much about you anymore. And therefore, you respect that person. So, again, admiration and uh humility bring to respect and so it's the same thing with god if we just love god well when there's things that god does that uh, we don't love anymore um then we're liable to dump him on the street corner not exactly obviously but i mean you know so god is you know hitting me with a bunch of horrible things i'm not sure i want to stick around with him right now but if we admire god and we respect God. In other words, we, we understand how great God is, what he means to this world, how the world cannot exist without him, how the greatest things that you see in nature are nothing compared to him. When you have the admiration and humility in front of him, then you'll always have the respect of God, and um, you'll never lose that respect. And so that's why it's important to have both love and respect. Love brings a passion into it. Awe doesn't bring that passion as much. But awe makes it less about us and more about God, which creates the possibility for that relationship to continue for the long term. So again, I I think really uh, um, a description of a marriage is is great in this case. Again, if you have just love in the marriage, as they describe in Hollywood, they fall apart very often. Uh, What you need as well is uh, fear, as we're calling, but as we're defining fear today, it means truly an appreciation of the other person. Having the admiration and the humility, which leads to respect of the other person. Uh, Rabbi Tzvi Freeman uh, tells a story that he he uh, he lived in Toronto and there was a former gang member. He was gang member there and he, he asked him, "Were you ever afraid?" He says, "I was only once afraid when I met Golda Meir." Says Golda Meir, "Was she holding a gun?" No, she wasn't holding it. But you met Golda Meir, you were afraid. You know, Israeli politicians can be afraid, especially Golda Meir. But, uh, you know, he had obviously it was a not a physical fear, but it was a, it was fear as an admiration and a humility in front of here is, you know, the, the leader of the, of the Jewish state and, uh, you know, the iron, iron Lady, as she was called as well, um, that uh, gave him that feeling towards uh, Golda Meir. Of course, uh, during the war, it was a different story, but anyways, um, it's a whole nother story for another time uh, when we do Israeli history. Um, any questions or comments? Um, all right. Who cares about love that comes and goes? All right. So we do care about love. It is another commandment. God wants us to feel those levels of passion towards him. However, the baseline is awe. The baseline of everything is awe. And then you add on to love. The baseline is awe of God or fear. Some, one of the rabbis was actually, you know, there's a discussion amongst the rabbis why why the Torah calls it fear and not awe. And he explains an interesting thought was that awe kind of sounds like you're not doing anything. It's not, it doesn't sound actionable. Fear feels more of like a feeling of like awe. I like, I don't know. Just one way of looking at it. You know, again, it's English words, fear, awe. I, I, I don't know. And
1: I was going to ask if that was a mistranslation. Or of some kind, because just to me, fear—the word fear—doesn't apply. I mean, yes, I guess, like you said, it applies the fear of punishment and everything or whatever. But that's right. not really fear of God. It, to me, it just means awe of
0: how. Right. Often so, uh, again, it's it's ultimately it's ultimately a Hebrew word, uh, so whether our translate our translation is definitely not exact. Um, but nevertheless, his point was maybe we use the word fear more in general instead of awe. Because fear does give off a feeling of there's, it's more actionable. It's more, um, awe is more abstract, if you want to put it that way. Awe sounds more abstract. Like, I don't know. I, I guess you wouldn't come to your spouse and fear say,
1: tangible.
0: I mean, I guess you wouldn't come to your spouse and say, I'm in fear of you or I'm in awe of you. I mean, you could say awe, but still, either of those probably wouldn't work. Um, I want to mention one more point over here one more important point because fear and awe of God is all is that looked so often in negative light. I've given it a positive spin today. I want to give it one more positive spin. When we have this appreciation for God, that he's always present and he's always there. And therefore I have to treat him with respect and humility. Um, um, there's also a benefit. Another benefit is that God is always with you. In other words, if you always have that feeling of humility in front of God, so you might say, well, it makes me you know, more depressed and I, I'm afraid of him. He's always around. But actually, it's, just, it's just such a comforting thought, knowing that God is always there with you. When you have the recognition and understanding that uh, God is always there with you, it, it helps you in your daily life. You have less anxiety, less, um, less uh, fears. So feeling God's presence in your life, having that fear as we're calling it today, actually leads to less anxiety. So fear of God will lead you to less anxiety in your life. That's really the point. A true fear of God and awe of God, knowing that his presence is there always with you. As um, as the saying goes, that you is never alone. Okay, good, good. I like all the comments over here. Okay, let me um, recap over here because we're running out of time and we still have one more question. So the recap we're going to do again on the PowerPoint. In the recap will go like this. Uh, just one second. Okay. Why must I fear God? As uh, it says clearly in the Torah that we have to fear Him, isn't fear a bad thing? Uh, so the answer is that, um, unlike what we generally translate fear as a fear of an imminent threat, fear is actually an emotion that stems from an appreciation of how great God is and how small we are in comparison and uh, realizing that this awe-inspiring God is watching you at all times leads you to a constant awareness and awe of his presence. And as we said, it will lead to admiration, humility, and respect. We gave great examples of marriage. Um, now we understand the fear of God really means awe. Why can't we stick just to love? Because again, love is selfish. It's about me. It's about I. Whereas awe is humbling and awareness of how great he or she or it is. The personal desires don't matter and therefore keeps the relationship afloat um okay so that is the story final question is is i'm okay with believing in god but i'm not religious can we still have a relationship um in other words is it uh is it okay what does what does god think about me um and this really ties into a great one of bod's pet peeves Chabad, we like to say, labels are for suits, not for people. How often have I met somebody and asked them, would you like to put on tefillin? Would you like some matzah? They say, no, sorry, Rabbi, I'm Reformed. Or sometimes, or or I'm atheist, or I'm Reconstructionist, or I'm conservative. Like, what difference does it make, right? What difference does it make? At the end of the day, I'm just asking you to do a mitzvah. So let's let's delve into this. Let's delve into this. Um. So the first thing is that your relationship with God has nothing to do with religion. So what do I mean? Religion is, can we call it a social construct? Okay. Religion is spoken of as a life of choice of a package deal. In other words, generally, we call somebody religious because they have chosen to, so to speak, abide... By certain rules, it's oversimplifying, saying, well, these people are religious because they have decided to live by certain rules. Um, And therefore, we might say somebody is non-religious is somebody who's deciding not to live by all of those rules. However, it's very dangerous to label people as religious or non-religious. Right. So the first problem is if you label people as non-religious, then as in the stories above, sometimes people feel, well, I'm not religious anyways, so I don't have to do any of the above. The issue with labeling people as religious, it has an opposite issue. Is sometimes the religious person can make the mistake that, uh, well, I'm religious, so therefore I can get away with a couple other stuff, right? Unfortunately, you have uh, not to put all religious Jews in a box, but you, sometimes there are religious Jews who so do wrong things. It happens, and uh, sometimes it can be because they feel they're religious that they are holier than thou. There are certain things that they are allowed to do that other people can't do because they're religious. Um, and so the pro- the truth is though that um, religi- calling people religious is ultimately, as I said earlier, a social construct. It's what we call people. Um, it's a generalization. We, we need to generalize people, put people in groups. We love putting people in groups. So we say these people are religious, these people are not. It's the easy way of defining groups and having general ideas about people. But really they're all, everybody in all these groups, just as in any groups that we create in society, they're all individuals and they all operate with their own issues, and their own problems, and their own demons, and their own feelings. Um, So what's really important is not the label that we give people, but ultimately remembering what is it that religious and non-religious people are trying to do, okay? And the answer is, we're all trying to connect to God. A religious person maybe has made the decision to do certain mitzvahs every single day, OK, but every time they do it, that's in other words, if I've been religious for uh, 50 years, still in the 51st year, I still need to do the same actions. Right. Because every single time that I do a commandment is a connection to God. And it doesn't make a difference if you've been religious for 100 years or you or you're not religious, quote unquote. In other words, every time I do a mitzvah, I'm connecting to God. So the labels are actually irrelevant. You know, there's a saying in um There's a saying in these recovery groups, living one day at a time. What's their point? Their point is, who cares about what's gonna be tomorrow? Who cares what happened yesterday? Today, do you wanna live your best life? Today, do you wanna live addiction-free, okay? So that's what I say, live one day at a time. It's the same thing for us. What difference does it make what I did the last 50 years? What difference does it make what I'm gonna do tomorrow? Right now, do I find this action meaningful? Do I find this action connecting me with God? And if the answer is yes, then there's no difference who's doing it. It's a it's a powerful, powerful action that means so much. Let's take a look here at uh, a text that basically tells us each and every single mitzvah stands on its own leg. It doesn't make a difference what you've done before or after. Um, well, text number eleven. When you fulfill God's will, this is from the Tanya, Rabbi on, when you fulfill God's will, your godly soul, your body consciousness, and all their expressions are united in perfect unity with God. This union endures forever because God and his will transcend time. So when you do a mitzvah, that moment is powerful. It can never be taken away from you. We tend to think, well, only if I do it all the time, is it worth it, right? So for example, Somebody might say, well, if I'm anyways, if people tell me this all the time, rabbi, I'm anyways, not keeping Shabbos, so uh, why should I do Friday night dinner? You know, I don't keep it properly. Or rabbi, I'm anyways, uh, driving to Shul, maybe I should drive to the movies. Or all different things that people give themselves rationalization. And we have to remember that each and every single action is judged individually. Uh, we, we, are we, we're, we're too often making this whole package. And because of that package, we throw ourselves into certain boxes and therefore sometimes gives us quote unquote, the, um, the license to do something that we shouldn't necessarily do a uh, an example. Um, some people in life are more emotional. Some people are less emotional, right? I happen to tend to be on the less emotional side. Okay, so um, some people will, let's say, hug their kids a lot. Uh, I do hug my kids as well, but right. So let's say somebody says, I'm not a hugger. You know, I'm not a very emotional person. I'm not a hugger. Okay. But then one day they have an urge to hug their kid child, right? They get an urge to hug. Should they say, Well, I'm not a hugger. I can't hug my child. I'm not a hugger person. How can I hug my child right now? Why would you deny yourself that beautiful embrace in that moment to hug your child just because you're generally not emotional? Who cares? So, so you know people actually do this, they, they even in emotion. People say, Well, I'm not emotional. Even when they're, they're they are emotional, they put themselves in a box to say they're not emotional. Well, what's the problem? So right now you're emotional. Enjoy it, you know, celebrate it, be there. So the same thing is over here. People say, Well, I'm not religious or I'm I'm I'm, I'm reformed, I'm conservative, I'm, I'm Chabad, I'm this and that. I can't do this. Right? So I come to the person, you want to put on the film? He says, Well, he puts himself in a label. Who cares about the label? Right now, do you want to connect to God? Who cares what you're going to do tomorrow? Who cares what you did yesterday? Right now, do you want to do a special mitzvah? Do you want to connect to God? All right, so there's some people who connect more often. Some people connect less often. And we ha- we've we had discussions so many times, if you've been to Chabad, you know already, that uh, again, you know, as the Rebbe would say many times, the most important thing in life is that you're progressing. You know, The, the very religious person is not necessarily better than, than quote-unquote the non-religious person. The most important thing is that you're progressing in life. Um, trying to go somewhere. Um, you know, this happens also in relationships. Sometimes you have relationships fall apart in this way. Sometimes, you know, a spouse has done something wrong, and then they decide that, well, I'm a bad person, and then so you know, they they get they get lost in that. Um we always have to remember to stop putting ourselves in box, getting giving ourselves labels. Um, allow allowing ourselves the freedom to right now choose to do something good and something right. And uh, so to answer our question, I you know I, the question was, I believe in God, but I'm not religious. Can we still have a relationship? Absolutely. It's not about religious or not religious. I remember many years ago, I would, you know we would I would go every Friday, go visit uh, different offices, people in their office, and there was one guy, head of a big office, head of like two hundred people, and he was an Israeli guy. And uh, sometimes he would tell us, I'm secular. And we used to tell him, well, we're not religious. What do you mean you're secular? How are you? You're so, we're not religious. He said, what do you mean you're not religious? I said, I'm not religious. So I put on the film today that makes me religious. A whole bunch of other things I didn't do. Okay? I tried to be my best. You can also try and be your best. You can try to do something as well. Um, any questions or comments on this thought? Questions or comments? We're, we're all open over here
4: as always I uh, I enjoyed it and Yashakoa to you Rabbi thank, thank you. you
0: thank you thank you I'm gonna end off with one story uh, I just wanted to hear comments on that on that specific' leave with the story it's a great story um uh, actually two stories two stories one story is Rabbi Manus Friedman Rabbi Manus Friedman tells a story he had a conundrum somebody came to him and says Rabbi what should I do when my mother died he made me promise that I would never become religious. So what should I do? But I want to I want to do more mitzvahs, but she, you know, I want to become religious. But she made me promise I'm not going to come. I promised her. She was very anti-religious. She made me promise. So man said, Don't worry, as you understand from this class, right? He says, Don't worry. Don't ever become religious. Please do me a favor. Don't become religious. The religious people cause all the problems. Okay. Don't become religious. I mean that in jest, by the way. Um, don't, don't become religious. He says, Today you put on tefillin. Tomorrow you eat kosher. You're not becoming religious. You're just doing one thing, right? You're doing one thing at a time. The second story is, uh, there was one time a a prince, prince of the king, who one day decided he's a chicken. And he was eating under the table. And they brought all the different psychologists to try and get him out of the table, convince him he's not a chicken. Nobody could get him out of there. Finally, one simple farmer tells the king, "I can get him out of there." The king says, "Okay, listen. I tried all psychologists. Maybe a farmer can do it." So the uh, farmer sits under the table, gets undressed, sits there like the uh, the prince, the other chicken, and starts eating uh, bird food. So the prince looks at him and says, "What are you?" He says, "Well, I'm a chicken." He says, "You're a chicken, really? Oh, I'm a chicken too. Nice to meet you." Buck, 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 and they have a lot of fun, chicken fun. Uh, Later that night. the chicken um goes to the bathroom. So the 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 farmer chicken goes to the bathroom and the chicken says, What do you mean you go to the bathroom? You're supposed to go on the floor. He says, Yeah, I'm a chicken, but some, but I'm more comfortable going in the bathroom. I'm a chicken. I just happen to go to the bathroom. And then the next day, you know, the prince says, Oh, not a bad idea. And then the next day, you know, the 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 chicken, the farmer chicken sits up on the table. And the uh, prince says, What do you mean? I thought you're a chicken. Why are you sitting at the table? He says, Yeah, I'm a chicken, but I'm a chicken. I that likes, I don't mind sitting at the table. And so on and so forth to finally convinces the prince to live like a regular life, as long as he's still a chicken. So that's the story in our lives as well. We put ourselves in boxes, but it's okay. You could be non-religious and you could still do a mitzvah. You could be non-religious, you could keep kosher, you could be non religious. We don't have to put ourselves in boxes. And uh so you know, even let's say somebody is, uh, um, they, they don't keep Shabbos. Well, there's elements of Shabbos you can keep. Even if, let's say, somebody's stores open on Shabbos. Maybe certain things they won't do on Shabbat in their store. They'll try and arrange other people to do it. Again, any which way that we can connect with God um, is uh, beloved and cherished by God. And that's really the main thing, is uh, to remember that every mitzvah is, is so powerful and so meaningful And uh, so important to God. And so stop putting ourselves in uh, different types of boxes. uh, Remember that each and every single commandment that you do is beloved to God. It's not about being religious. It's right now, as they say, live one day, live one deed at a time. And I want to end off with one Mashiach idea. I keep saying we're going to end off, but this is really it. (laughs) Because somebody was wearing a Yankees cap, so I have to talk about this. So um, two years ago, two years ago uh the rays tampa bay rays the baseball team over here was in the world series and uh i think it was the fifth game uh, if they would have lost it would've been really bad they ended up losing the sixth game but it was the fifth game it was like the bottom of the ninth there were two outs and they called up this batter his name was Brett Phillips I was watching that game so i remember um and he was like a batter who had like barely batted the entire year he was like traded from another team but they had nobody else on the bench. So they put him up to bat, you know, the bottom of the ninth, two outs. And this guy hit a hit, and they won the game. Okay, so this guy, he had really no really big history, but he made the biggest hit. It's one of, like, the greatest memories for any Rays fans, okay, for their team. You know, anybody knows winning in the bottom of the ninth inning, you know, when you're down two outs, is like the greatest thing and in a World Series game. I mean, that's like, you know, it's like a dream come true. What's the point of the story? The point of the story is that Maimonides says, is that don't judge yourself by who you are. You can be that batter at the bottom of the ninth inning. He says, we're all waiting for the day when Mashiach comes. Mashiach needs possibly just one more good deed. You can be somebody who's been batting a zero. You can have been doing nothing, but it could be that you're going to be the one that's going to hit that final deed that's going to w- win for us in the bottom of the ninth inning that's going to be the one to bring to Mashiach. So never underestimate your deed. doesn't make difference what you've done yesterday and the day before. It's right now today you can be the one to win the World Series. And that's uh, the end of our class for today. So thank you all for coming. Sorry I went over time. Thank you
1: so much. That was so uh, beautiful and meaningful, very meaningful and just was wonderful. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it very much.